Good morning, everybody. How about that for an encouraging scripture to start a sermon, eh? Not a whole lot of amens in here after that, I heard. I will start with an encouraging note. Um, I received word last night um, that one of the ladies who's been studying with us online on Monday nights down in Florida, uh, some of you know her, Heather, um, is uh, being baptized today. And praise God for that. Um, What a blessing it is. Um, Zeph and I will say at the end of this book that Yahweh rejoices over his people with shouts of joy. And it ought to be that his people also rejoice with shouts of joy when we hear about uh, the good news of God saving uh, his people. What a blessing it is to be together. Um, Really encouraging to see all of you here. I am wearing a jacket today. It's not because I took an Uber here or have something on my pants if you were here last week. Um, It's just because it's cold in here. I appreciate you guys um, braving the cold to be out here today and to be in the word of God um, together. And uh, we're looking forward to exploring with you. This is my first time ever that I remember preaching to a whole congregation from the book of Zephaniah. Um, So uh, open your Bibles there if you're not already there. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, discussing this scripture with you today. Um, We've been looking at this year. um, We've been reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, This week, we just finished the Old Testament. Uh, and I hope that uh, hope that you guys haven't given up hope um, as we've been pressing through this. Uh, we're starting in the book of Matthew this week. And uh, I hope if you if you've fallen behind or you've gotten lost, there's no better time than now to jump back in. At least try to get through the New Testament uh, with us. I'll be sending to all of you this week um, when we send out the questions for class. Um, we'll send with that uh, a, a copy of our daily reading. Um, and so if you're not, if you don't have a copy of that, you can get that and jump in with us. Or if you came here in the middle of the year, it'd be a great time to join us in our reading. But as we've been reading through the Old Testament, we've taken some time to stop and reflect on what is this teaching us about who God is? There's really no more important question than who is God uh, in this world. And the Bible is written to answer that question, to teach us about the God who made us in his image, uh, what he is like. Today, our topic is the God of wrath. The God of wrath. And you might have picked up on that as we were reading Zephaniah chapter one. Um, not a lot of, not a very pretty picture uh, as you read those scriptures together. That's a pretty painful description of what Yahweh is doing. Um, and so today, we want to talk about this idea that Yahweh is a God of wrath. Now, I hope that this doesn't shock you when you read Zephaniah chapter one, because truthfully, we've seen the God of wrath from the beginning of the Bible until now. Like this is not the first time we've seen God angry in the Old Testament, right? Um, We were introduced to God's wrath soon after we were introduced to Adam and Eve. It's God's wrath that drove Adam and Eve out of the garden in Genesis chapter 3. It's God's wrath that banished Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 11. It was God's wrath that led him to destroy the earth by flood. And as I was reading the first few verses again this morning uh, of Zephaniah 1, it reminded me of the flood story. You know, this picture of mass destruction, uh, mass cleansing, you might say, of the earth. Um, It's God's wrath that led him to destroy the earth by flood. It's God's wrath that in the Exodus, 
uh, was poured out on Egypt on the day they called Passover. Um, and actually, just to impress upon you the importance of remembering and appreciating and even, dare I say, celebrating the wrath of God, you need to remember that uh, God called his people to celebrate every year that day of Passover as a reminder of God's wrath that was poured out on Egypt. In fact, though, it wasn't just God's wrath being poured out on other nations that the, that the people of Israel were supposed to remember. And you should be reminded of this. All you got to do is go out this week and, and walk down Eastern Parkway a little ways. And what you're going to see is some tents set up. Do you know why there are all these tents set up all over Brooklyn this week? Because this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, what was the Feast of Tabernacles that they're still celebrating today? What was that all about? That was a celebration, a remembrance of God pouring out his wrath on Israel and making them wander in the wilderness. God disciplining his people and making them wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And in that, he provided for them. He protected them. Their sandals did not wear out. You know, they had everything they needed to eat. But God was disciplining his people and pouring out his wrath upon his people. We should understand from the Bible that God wants us to know this about him, that he is a God of wrath. I will qualify that later on. Some of you are, are, are looking for something to feel good about. I will tell you, we're not going to end on, on a really dark, dark note, um, but I, you got to stick with me here. You got to stick with me because these are important words from the word of God. What I want you to recognize, though, is that all throughout Israel's history, there are these glimpses of the wrath of God. God pouring out his anger, God getting angry with his people and pouring out his wrath upon those who are wicked and those who disobey. Uh, especially you see God's wrath against oppression and against oppressors. That's pretty clear from the Exodus, right? Um, the, what was the Exodus? It was about delivering the people from wicked oppressors and redeeming Israel. And so, of course, they're going to be celebrating that. And truthfully, celebrations like Passover were meant to anticipate. The reason God had them take those each year was to anticipate a future day that would come in which God would again would again bring judgment and deliver his people from future threats. It was an anticipation of this future day that would come where God would judge his judge the enemies of his people and God would deliver his people and rescue them from wrath. Now, we don't hear a whole lot about another day like the day that they celebrated coming out of Exodus um, until you get to the prophets. But if you've been reading through the prophets, it should be cl pretty clear that this is a big deal. This day of the Lord or this day of Yahweh is a really big deal to the prophets. Um, in, uh, in Amos, in Isaiah, in Joel, all who are prophesying around the same time as Zephaniah or a little before him, um, they, are, they are prophesying that the day of the Lord is coming. And of course, and Israel's been anticipating this, that another day of the Lord would come where God would deliver them from their enemies. What they were not anticipating is that Amos would come and say the day of the Lord is coming and the enemy that God is coming against is Israel itself. They were not anticipating that the day of the Lord would come upon them. But actually, prophets like Amos and Isaiah and Joel come and they speak. And when they speak of the day of the Lord coming, first and foremost, the day of the Lord is coming against the people of God. Well, why? 
Because the people have become corrupt. Because the people have disobeyed the covenant. Because the people have abandoned their God and rejected the law of their God. And so this day of the Lord is coming against Yahweh's enemies, but this time the enemy is Israel. Now, it's not just Israel. You can read through Isaiah and see uh, a, a day of the Lord coming against Egypt and coming against other nations uh, as well. And we'll see that in the book of Zephaniah here as well. But I, I want you to recognize this concept, day of the Lord, is really important. Day of Yahweh is really important. It's actually the central theme that unites the whole book of Zephaniah. Um, this entire book, and, and you probably picked up on that uh, in chapter 1, especially as you get down to verse 14. Near is the great day of Yahweh, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of Yahweh, in it the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and, and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. Six times he speaks about this day, and that might remind you of the six days of creation. Some have pointed out here that really what's happening in Zephaniah is a reversal of creation. Now that God's wor world has been defiled, God is coming and punishing and bringing judgment. He's bringing the curse upon those who have defiled his world that he made. And so the central message of Zephaniah's prophecies surrounds this concept of the day of Yahweh, or the day of, as he says in one place, the day of Yahweh's wrath. That is, God is angry and he's bringing about judgment. Now, let me just say a few things about this, because already I'm guessing some of you are sitting here and saying, this sounds like all that stuff that they used to talk about. You know, those old fire and brimstone preachers, you know, always talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God who's always out there trying to kill us all, right? Um, and, and I want to say a few things about this, because one, we need to appreciate, first and foremost, the wrath of God in Scripture, in its biblical form as it's given in Scripture. We should not try to pacify that. We should not try to cover that up. We do nobody any favors by ignoring what the Bible has to say about the wrath of God. Having said that, having said that, I want to add and remind you of a few things that we've seen throughout Scripture about this, and we see even here in the book of Zephaniah. Um, one is that Yahweh is not quick to wrath. Yahweh is not quick to wrath. You remember back on Mount Sinai, that's how he introduced himself. You know, I'm slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He is not quick to wrath. And let me just say that the book of Zephaniah makes that clear just by the, the historical note at the beginning. The word of Yahweh, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And if you've been reading with us, this Thursday we're going to talk about this king Josiah. But if you've been reading with us, by the end of Bible class today, you will appreciate, if you do not already, that this is evidence that Yahweh is not quick to wrath. In fact, the fact that they got to a king, Josiah, is evidence that Yahweh is not quick to wrath because there has been one wicked king after another and there has been one wicked generation after another. And up until this point, Yahweh has not put them out of the land. That is evidence that he is not quick to anger. 
Think about all the times that they've turned away from him to worship uh, other idols. Think about all the times that they've broken the first commandment and every other commandment that God has given. And yet Yahweh has continued to suffer for a very long time with Israel. Yahweh is not quick to wrath. And this judgment that is coming upon the people here in the book of Zephaniah has been a long time coming. Many times over, Yahweh has sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, and sometimes multiple prophets at the same time to try to turn the people back to him. And the people have not repented. They have not turned back. And truthfully, if you remember, when they have turned back, Yahweh has relented. Yahweh has blessed them. He didn't say, oh, well, it's too late now. No, he was gracious to them at times where they have turned back and repented. We've seen revivals that have taken place. And Yahweh has poured out his blessing uh, from, uh, from heaven. There have been many days of Yahweh already coming upon Israel and upon the nations and I should say a word about that as we uh, look at this. Um, you know, if you go online, you type in the day of day of the Lord online, uh, you're going to see all kinds of wild things. Um, you know, this word, this week, again, the word Armageddon is being thrown around um, the apocalypse, you know, all kinds of things like that. Uh, you're going to find all kinds of end of the world predictions. What I want you to understand, though, is that in the Bible, in the Bible, the day of Yahweh is not a one-time thing. We're going to talk about in, 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 when we get to the end of this, um, a final day of Yahweh. But truthfully, there have been many days of Yahweh throughout history. And there are probably, though we're not getting specific revelation about them today, probably many more to come uh, and, and have been uh, even since the revelation has ended or, or ceased. Um, there have been many days of Yahweh where Yahweh has come in judgment. When Zephaniah speaks about the day of the Lord, he's talking about an event in time where God brings judgment and holds the nations, Judah and Israel, especially in Zephaniah, he's focusing on Judah, but not just on that. We're going to see in chapter two as well, also on the nations that God is bringing justice and holding the nations accountable for their unrighteousness, their injustice, their arrogance, and their wickedness. God is bringing about this judgment not because he is quick to wrath, not because he is unjust in his wrath. In fact, there's a big emphasis on Yahweh's justice, even in Zephaniah chapter 3. Yahweh is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. Here's what I want you to understand. When Yahweh pours out his wrath, he is not unjust in doing so. He is not unfair. He is not unrighteous. It's not as if God missed it, as if God somehow, you know, poured out his anger and his wrath on somebody who didn't actually deserve it. God is a God who will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. Truthfully, when sin entered the world, there was a curse that came with that sin. And from that time, there has been justice being dealt time and time again. 
And there are consequences in this world, some of which we don't fully grasp and we don't fully understand how certain things could happen the way that they are. I'm not saying here that everything that happens in this world when it comes to judgment will always make sense to you. I'm not saying here that everything that, that when God brings judgment, it, it, it will always in every time and in every place, it will always seem right. It will always seem just. There are times where there are things we just don't understand and we do not grasp. But what we can know is that Yahweh has proven himself to be faithful in executing justice. And his track record, his history that we've seen from Genesis to the book of Zephaniah, on through the book of Revelation, on even to our own lives today, has proven his faithfulness in executing justice. So Yahweh is not quick to wrath. He is also not unjust in his wrath. He only pours out his wrath upon those who deserve it. There's evidence of this even in the book of Zephaniah, as he, as you'll see in chapter three, he talks about a remnant. He talks about those who uh, in chapter two and verse three could perhaps be hidden in the day of Yahweh's anger. The implication being that not everybody is going to experience this wrath that's being poured out, that there is actually a way to be spared from it. And that's because Yahweh is not unjust in his wrath. Let me just say one more thing. We'll come back to this at the end. Yahweh's steadfast love demands that he be also a God of wrath. I want you to think about that. This is really important. In order for God to be a God of love, he must also be a God of wrath. Think about this and think about the significance of this. Uh, one of my mentors used to say, uh, and I think this is true, if heaven is a place for everyone, it'll be hell when we get there. Isn't that true? In order for God to be a loving and gracious God to those who are good and righteous, he must punish and he must destroy those who persist in wickedness. Would it have been right for God to say, oh, I see you down there, Israel, in Egypt, suffering as slaves, suffering, being oppressed. I see this, this wicked king who's there and he's punishing all of you. And I'm going to deliver you guys out of this, but I'm going to take king of Pharaoh. He's going to go with you, you know, where you are. And he's going to rule over you in this new land. You know, would that have been fair? Would that have been right? Would that have been just? Would that have been loving for God to do that? I want to suggest the biblical answer to that is no. God in his love destroys Pharaoh and destroys Egypt because of their wickedness. But that is an act of love towards his faithful and righteous people. And if God is not a God of wrath, then God is not a God of love. If God will not punish evil and punish iniquity and punish un injustice and unrighteousness and arrogance and pride, then God is not a God who's full of grace and loving kindness and mercy. You can't have it one way without the other. And so God must judge the wicked in order to save the righteous. The God of wrath. Um, there's a lot more to say about that. We'll say a few things more about that. Um, in a few moments, but what does Zephaniah say that the people should do about it? What do you do about it? If God is a God who can get angry, and if God is a God who can bring mass destruction 
I mean, you know, we've seen, you know, things that have kind of shaken us. Uh, I think about 9-11, for example, in our nation was a day that uh, nobody, nobody, anybody was alive on that day uh, and, and old enough to remember it, remembers where you were and what was going on. I mean, that was a that was a significant event um, in our nation's history. You might even think of another uh, event like that being COVID and the impact COVID has had on us over the past, not like a one moment thing. Um, but there's these days that you remember. But what about this? I mean, we haven't seen anything like what's described here in Zephaniah. We haven't seen anything like this uh, that he's talking about. Uh, a, a day of wrath is a day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against fortified towers and high corner towers. I'll bring distress on men so that they walk like the blind because they've sinned against Yahweh. Their blood will be poured out like dust, their flesh like dung. dung. If, you, if you've seen anything like that, it wasn't in the United States, at least not in the past few centuries. This is crazy. What God is bringing about here is pretty incredible. And so in chapter two, Yahweh tells them what they need to do in order to prepare for it. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation without shame. Before the decree takes effect, the day passes like the chaff before the burning anger of Yahweh comes upon you. Before the day of Yahweh, Yahweh's anger comes upon you. Look at verse three. Seek Yahweh all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of Yahweh's anger. What does Yahweh say that the people need to do to prepare for this coming day of of his anger? Seek Yahweh. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Let's talk about those briefly. Seek Yahweh. Well, that's pretty obvious. If you're going to find refuge from the God who created the heavens and the earth, who's bringing judgment upon the earth, then you're going to have to find that refuge in him. Psalm 2 makes this point clear. You must seek refuge in him because there is no refuge from him. There's no refuge anywhere else. If you're like the people saying to the rocks or the mountains, fall on us, um, there's no refuge in the rocks. There's no refuge in the mountains. He's going to say, he says in chapter one and verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them. I want to tell you, there's some things that money can do for you in this world. And there's some things that money cannot do for you in this world. Whatever money can do for you, it cannot protect you in the day of God's wrath. Despite what some people have said throughout the, throughout the years and centuries, God cannot be bought off. He cannot be bribed. Your silver and your gold will not protect you in the day of God's wrath. So there is no refuge from him. Therefore, we seek refuge in him. Seek Yahweh. I want to ask you, are you seeking Yahweh in your life right now? And think about this. Think about what it means to seek Yahweh. Talk about like in the moments, not just am I seeking Yahweh when, you know, His word uh, applies to me and it fits with what I want. And, you know, God says this and that makes sense to me. So I'm going to I'm going to seek Yahweh. I'm going to do what he wants. Are you seeking Yahweh even when it doesn't make sense? Even when you can't understand what's going on around you. Think about the people who were righteous in Judah at this time. The righteous remnant. 
Do you think this would, chapter one, do you think this prophecy from Zephaniah would have made sense to them? Why is God coming to destroy us all when I'm sitting here trying to faithfully serve him? You know, it wasn't just the wicked who would suffer the consequences of the day of Yahweh's anger being poured out. Consequences of that would affect the righteous as well. And I want you to think about this. Are you seeking Yahweh not just on the day when his will uh, fits with your will? but also on the days when it does not, when it doesn't make sense to you, when, when, when God's word doesn't fit with what you think is best for your life. Seek Yahweh. So often we're turning to other gods. We're turning to our own wisdom, to our own understanding, to other places seeking deliverance, to our own wealth, to our own power, to our own intellect or knowledge or our own intuition, when really we need to be seeking and turning to him. Seek Yahweh, you humble of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness. In Romans chapter 1, Paul will say that the wrath of God is being poured out on all unrighteousness. So if we want to prepare for the day of God's wrath coming, then the way to do that is to seek righteousness. Proverbs 15 and verse 9 says that Yahweh detests the way of the wicked but lo it loves those who pursue righteousness. Yahweh detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Remember Jesus saying this in Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is seek Yahweh and seek righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I want to ask you, what are you seeking? Are you seeking for all the other things to be added to you? Are you seeking righteousness, trusting that if you'll do right and you'll do what Yahweh desires from you, then he'll take care of all the rest of it. Seek Yahweh, seek righteousness. Lastly, seek humility. We talked about this a lot this year. There's such an emphasis throughout the Old Testament on Yahweh exalting the humble and humbling the lofty, lowering the lofty and lifting up the lowly. Seek humility. Even throughout the book of Zephaniah here, again and again and again, seek humility. Um, in chapter three and verse 11, we're going to see that in that day, you'll feel no shame because all your deeds by which you've rebelled against me, for then I will remove from your midst your proud exalting ones. And you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. God is removing the proud. God is removing those who are arrogant. God is removing those who trust in themselves, who are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, Yahweh will not do good or evil. All those who are proud are brought low. But the humble... The humble and the lowly are the ones who survive. Look at chapter 3 and verse 12. I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of Yahweh. Who are the people who will be left behind? Who are the people who will be hidden from the day of Yahweh's anger? Who are the people who will survive the wrath of God being poured out? It's the humble and lowly remnant. So let me ask you again. Are you seeking humility? I'll just say, 
That is not something that New Yorkers are known to be seeking. In this culture and in this city and in this world, humility is not a prized possession. Now, there are false versions of humility. There are, you know, um, there, are, there, there are things you'll hear about in business sometimes, like the best way to lead is through service and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but, but honestly, true humility, lowering yourself, considering other people more important than yourself, seeing yourself rightly with God as he truly is and yourself as you truly are in light of God's holiness, that kind of humility, not popular at all. Not in this world. I want to tell you this, though. If you are not seeking humility, then you are proud. If you are not seeking humility, then you are proud. Pride is the default. Pride is the cultural norm. Pride is the, is the way of self that, that, that everybody in the stream of the city is flowing down. If you want to seek humility, you have to swim upstream. You have to go against the current of the culture that you're in to pursue a heart that you learn from Christ alone, a heart that you learn from our God alone. Seek humility. Seek Yahweh. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Well, this is important because Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that another day of the Lord is coming. That is, that this day of the Lord, which came in that day for the people of Judah, when that day of darkness came, that day of destruction, and they were carried off out of, uh, out of the land and into captivity, that day that happened for them and then other days that happened for Babylon and Assyria and all those things were all evidence of what would, and anticipated, a greater day of the Lord that would come in the future. And in fact, Jesus speaks a lot throughout the New Testament about this day of the Lord that is coming. Uh, we're reading right now the book of Matthew. As you read through the book of Matthew, just look for how many times Jesus speaks about a day of judgment, a day of judgment, this day that is coming and which judgment is going to come. It's going. You're going to see this emphasis all throughout the New Testament, on this day of the Lord. And on the one side of it, the day of the Lord is a day, is a day of darkness and not light, as he said in Amos and in Micah. There's nothing but destruction coming. But on the, on the flip side of the coin, the day, it's a day of judgment for the wicked. But the day, of, the day of the Lord is a day of blessing for the righteous. And let me show you this first in the book of Zephaniah, and then we'll talk about this also as it relates even to the New Testament. The day of the Lord is like a two-sided coin. It was a day of judgment for the wicked, but a day of blessing for the righteous. Look at the emphasis at the end of this book on this day of the Lord as being a day of renewal for the people of God. Look at chapter 3 and verse 8, where Yahweh says this, Therefore, wait for me, declares Yahweh, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger. For all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. But listen to this, verse 9. For then I will give to the peoples purified lips that all of them may call on the name of Yahweh to serve him shoulder to shoulder 
from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones will bring my offerings. In that day, you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you've rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exulting ones. You will never again be haughty on my holy mountain, but I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of Yahweh. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Do you see the picture here? The day of judgment for the wicked is also a day of blessing for the righteous. Because what God is doing is he's using this moment of pouring out his wrath to bring about a cleansing and a renewal in Israel. Where the, now his people have purified lips. Now his people do not lie and are not deceitful. Now his people walk in righteousness and in humility and in lowliness of heart and mind. There's a day of renewal. Look at verse 14. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Yahweh has taken away his judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, Yahweh, is in your midst. And this reminds us, doesn't it, that the, the day of the Lord is nothing to fear if you're on the Lord's side. Actually, it is a day where he clears out the enemies. It is a day to long for, a day to root for, a day to desire, because it's a day in which when you are on his side, there is comfort. There is no fear. There is nothing but hope and joy and peace. Yahweh has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, Yahweh, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. Verse 16, in that day we said to Jerusalem, don't be afraid, O Zion. Don't let your hands fall limp. For Yahweh, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will renew you in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. When Yahweh, the king of Israel, is in your midst, even the day of his wrath is nothing to fear. He is a victorious warrior who exalts over you with joy. He quiets you. He renews you with his love. The day of the Lord is a day of renewal. It's also a day of salvation. Verse 19 and 20, Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. Well, that's good news if you're lame or outcast. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you, you in. Even at that time, when I gather you together, indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says Yahweh. And this is how the book ends, with a promise of hope. Notice what's happening here. God is taking Judah and he is purifying it. He is removing all the filth. That fire that's coming, that that day of his anger, is going to remove all the impurities in Judah. It's going to wipe out all the wickedness, all the evil, all the oppression, all the injustice, all the oppressors are going to be gone. And what's going to be left? It's going to be God's purified remnant. But not just in Judah, in all the nations. All the nations are going through this purifying where all the wicked are being destroyed and wiped out. And God then gathers what is left from the nations, the purified remnant, into his people. And that day is a day of salvation. God's judgment on the wicked brings salvation to the righteous. And there's even more. And thank God that there's more. 
Because even as I say these things, you know, you start talking about the wicked and the righteous, and you're reminded of passages like in Romans, uh, there is none righteous, not even one. But God does not want to be angry. God does not desire to pour out his wrath. Do you remember what Jonah said about him? Not too far from the same time that Zephaniah was prophesying. Do you remember what Jonah said in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2? Oh, Yahweh, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, that's why I didn't want to go in the first place to preach to these guys. I knew who you are. I know about your character, that you don't delight in being angry, that you delight in showing mercy. And I knew that if this people, that this wicked people that you sent me to preach to, if they turn from their wicked ways, you show them mercy. And Jonah hated those people and he wanted them to die and he wanted them to suffer the punishment that they deserve. And so he didn't appreciate that about God. But you know what's sad about that? He appreciated it when it was him. Do you remember that prayer he prayed at the bottom of the sea? This man is so stubborn. He gets thrown overboard. And I don't know about you, but about the time I would hit the water, that would be the time I would start praying. About the time they're picking me up to throw me overboard, that would be the time I start praying. But if you read Jonah chapter 2, this man waited till he was rock bottom at the bottom of the sea, passing out and, lay, and, and, and moving himself to oblivion to cry out to God for mercy. And what did God do when he cried out? He sent the fish and he saved his life. And Jonah had no problem receiving that mercy from God himself. But Jonah, like us, had a real problem with God extending that same mercy to others. And I want you to think about this. One writer wrote this, an essential feature of God's anger as proclaimed by the prophets is its contingency and non-finality. There is no divine anger for anger's sake. Its meaning is instrumental to bring about repentance. Its purpose and consummation is its own disappearance. Think about that. In essence, God's wrath is working itself out of a job. This is the one attribute that we've studied so far this year that is not a true, I think, maybe say a final attribute of God. It is not inherent to God's character. That is, God doesn't describe himself in the Bible and say, hey, I am the God of wrath. Like he says, I am the God who is love. And the reason for that is this. Um, in this way, the wrath of God is not a fundamental attribute of God like the others we've looked at. It's passing and a contingent reaction. His anger is for the moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. There is a time in which God will be angry no longer. There is a time in which God's favor will continue, but his anger will end. Psalm 103 verses 8 and 9, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor anger forever. Did you hear that? That's what that says. What that says is that God will not always be a God of wrath. His anger one day will end. And when it ends, his love will remain everlasting. There's great, such peace in that. 
that we should be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 75, as for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. We can praise God knowing that God is not going to be angry forever, but he will cut off the wicked even as he lifts up the righteous. How could God do that? How could God take wicked people like you and me and somehow save us from the wrath that we deserve in Christ alone? In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. On the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Think about that as we move towards the supper. Think about the fact that God poured out his ending wrath on Christ. He bore our iniquities, as the prophet Isaiah said, so that we, the many, might be made righteous. Jesus took our curse and became a curse so that he could cancel out the debt of the curse that you and I have against us because of our sins. And so if we are justified by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. Romans 5 and verse 9. On the other hand, Jesus repeatedly spoke about this day of the Lord, a day of judgment that's going to come in which God's going to judge all the people accord in accordance with their deeds. And he connected that with the day that he would return and gather all the nations back to himself to separate the wicked from the righteous. On that day, the wicked are going to receive a lasting punishment and the righteous are going to receive eternal life. And I want you to think about today, if you are here and you are not trusting in Christ, if you are here and you are not faithful to Christ, if you are not seeking Yahweh and seeking righteousness and seeking humility, this day, this day of the Lord is going to be a sad day. It is going to be a shocking day. As Peter said in 2 Peter 3, it's going to come like a thief in the night for those who are not looking for it. So each of us today is given a choice. Will we trust in the one who took the wrath of God upon himself so that we could be spared from it? Or will we reject the son who loves us and gave himself for us? We often think of John 3, 16 as being a really important verse to write in our hearts. Let me add to that John 3, 36, which says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. The day of the Lord is coming and it will come again for each and every one of us. The question that we need to ask is, will I be ready when he comes? Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are a God of wrath. We praise you because you bring judgment upon wickedness, because you bring judgment upon oppression and unrighteousness. And even as we reflect on that, we're amazed that we're still alive. It's not shocking to us that you, as a holy God, whose eyes are too pure to look on evil, it's not shocking to us that, <clears throat> that you would bring judgment 
that you would punish the wicked who persist in evil. It is shocking to us just how long you have suffered with us and how patient you've been. And I pray, O oh God, that you would give to us as your people purified lips, that we may call on your name, that we may serve you together shoulder to shoulder with all your people from all the nations across this world, that we would rise up as your people, as your purified remnant to make your glory known so that many more people who are still persisting in wicked ways would turn from their wicked ways and seek you and seek righteousness and seek humility. Thank you, Father, for your great wrath being poured out upon Jesus so that through him we might find rescue and we might find grace. We're so grateful that you are a God who relents and you're a God who desires to save. And we long for that day when you'll come back. But help us, Father, every day to walk in a way, trusting in you, seeking you with all of our heart so that we'll be ready when you return. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.